0: have you ever wondered what really is death? What happens afterwards? Does anything happen afterwards? Is it the end? Is it judgment? Is it transformation? Stay tuned. We're going to get into that today. Slava Jesus Christ. Glory to Jesus Christ. This is your host, Christopher with the Ukrainian Fire Chaplain Show. If you haven't already, check out our website, www.theufcshow.com. Learn a little bit more about us, some of the platforms that we're on, and ways that you could support us if you were interested. So what are we going to get into? What is the, the title? I think one of the things that I want to focus on today is the question, what is death? And as I prefaced earlier, the question "What is death?" is going to be answered by me from a Eastern Catholic perspective, from a Catholic's perspective in general. It um, it's not something that you may agree with. I want you to try to step aside from that for just a second. Hear me out. I'm going to treat it a little bit from a academic perspective from some of the simple teachings of the church. And I also want to try to paraphrase it and break it down into some layman's language. So, what is death? That's a great question. Generally speaking, in in academic terms, death is regarded as the separation of the soul from the body. So the first question somebody's going to have is, what the heck is this soul thing? Is it a ghost in the machine, which is very popular explanation, uh, although slightly mistaken, I believe. Uh, but these are awesome questions of philosophy that I want to develop more in the future, even if not in this episode. So if we, um, if we take a second look at this issue, at this question, and we look at a modern person walking down the street in a major metro area, they have... Very little conception of philosophy, literature, poetry, of the great theory or the great ideas of Western civilization. And I wanted to explain to him this whole separation of the soul from the body. How would I do that? I would basically say, the soul is the animating principle of a living thing. The word soul itself comes from the Latin word anima, and we get the word animate from it, or animal from it. The point is that there's a self-driving principle within it. Robots don't have self-driving principles. Even if you think about your little vacuum robot or your robo-dog or all of these other cars, at a certain point, there was someone that pre-programmed an algorithm into it before there was this decision-making or action on the part of this electronic reality this is the the big quest over the question of ai and i think it's why ai may may never find existence and that is you you have to have a soul you have to have a a spiritual a immaterial animating principle that's in a certain sense self-moving so i want you to take a second and do a uh, a, a philosophical exercise with me try this um, if you're driving, maybe you need to be careful. If you're sitting in your house or going out for a walk or you're taking a look at a, a rock in your front yard or picking them up like my kids, you know, if, if you're in your house, I want you to take a look at your child's Paw Patrol toy or something like that. These things don't have a principle within them to self-move. Any rock, any Paw Patrol toy has to have an outside agent to cause the thing to move. Someone's going to say, well, there's earthquakes, there's wind. Okay, I get it. But we're talking about that being an outside force, an outside agent. I'm not talking about secret government agent Um, or James Bond with his self-driving Aston Martin. See, the cars have souls. They're self-driving. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm getting at is these inanimate objects lack this principle of animation. They don't have a soul. Self-animation is found in things like trees. Dogs, lizards, the neighborhood deer that like to perpetually destroy everything outside my house, even the deer-proof plants that we put out there, those things have this principle within them that causes them to be self-moved, and that's why they're called living. It's not like a remote control car or an alarm clock. So the soul is also considered the form of the body. And this is very technical language, and I don't want to get too deep here. But basically, it's the blueprint, so to speak, of living things. It is the principle of order. Not just the principle of movement, but the principle of order. It's the principle of how the body itself is ordered. And when we say death is the separation of soul from the body, it's this animating principle, this principle of order on the spiritual realm of intelligence and will that is lost. Now, we can get into arguments of the immortality or rationality of the soul, um, addressing that famous kids movie I loved growing up, you know, whether all dogs go to heaven. I don't really want to do that right now, especially if you have kids in the car. Uh, Because the truth here will really destroy your appreciation of that movie. Dogs don't go to heaven. Why don't they go to heaven? And that comes back into the question of, do they have a principle of immortality, such as an intelligence, apart from a principle of animation? Now, there's a couple quotes, and this has been very academic, and I don't want to get any more. Uh, There's a couple of beautiful biblical quotes from the Catechism, or basically the explanation of the Christian faith from the Catholic Church's perspective. In uh, paragraph 1010, The meaning of Christian death is, Because of Christ, Christian death has a positive meaning. Quoting St. Paul, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Another quote from Paul, second letter to Timothy, the saying is sure, if we have died with him, we will live with him. Another quote, what is essentially new about Christian death is this, through baptism, the Christian has already died with Christ sacramentally in order to live a new life in the spirit. And if we have died in Christ's friendship, grace, physical death completes this initiation death with Christ. And therefore, our physical death completes our incorporation of him into his redeeming act on Calvary. And some of the other things referenced here in this portion of the teaching of the Church and the Catechism appeal to St. Ignatius of Antioch, who we have uh, spoken of earlier. And it's it's beautiful. He gives this one quote on, I am on the point of giving birth, which I think he is referencing the the yearning of creation that Paul may have been talking about for the, for the fulfillment and the glory and the, the redemption of creation. There's, there's other quotes here in paragraph 10-11 about uh, our desire is not to, to forfeit life, but to be with Christ. Our, our desire is to be somewhere where we find ultimate fulfillment. How many of you can relate to that? Your experiences, particularly at work, if it's kind of a drudge or, or just a job or just a paycheck, particularly when you're in and after high school or during cutbacks and you have to find something to pay the bills, even when you're later in life, you just, you're biding your time there. Your real heart is elsewhere. That's, that's another way of thinking about it. One uh, other way of explaining this from our Eastern tradition Is this great quote from our liturgy. This great. All of you who have been baptized. Have put on Christ. This great quote. All of you who have been baptized. Have put upon Christ. Now some might say. This is funky orthodox catholic worship stuff. However. That hymn from our Eastern liturgy is straight out of St. Paul's epistle to the Romans in chapter 6. And I I recommend you guys looking into that. There is a, a couple of beautiful, profound quotes in the Eastern hymnody here, particularly in the hymns on Christian initiation, when a person is baptized and brought into the church and into Christ. A couple of other teachings on what is death. Death is the end of man's earthly pilgrimage. It is when our sojourning has ended and we have arrived at our destination. Now, Hebrews 9.27 would suggest it's appointed for men to die once. And I want to come back to what we've talked about earlier with my friend Mike And the question of the fear of death. And I want to ask some questions. We know St. Paul says that we should take heed lest you fall. But the Christian orientation should not be a negative one in the absolute sense. We should not let our consideration of death lead us to being scared, lead us to being frozen. But it should lead us to a graceful response to the one who is ultimately challenging us in how we live our lives. So let's ask a couple of questions and answer them. What is death? I think I've covered that pretty well academically. Two, should the Christian be afraid of death? In a very real sense, I do not think Christians should be afraid of death even if we have a, a, a an inclination against it, I think if we are living up to the standard by which we know we're going to be judged, we should have no fear. Three, can a Christian long for death? I think in certain senses, the Christian can long for death. But I want to ask you this, was Judas a Christian? Yes. Did Judas long for death? Yes. Can we long for death the way Judas did? No. We cannot be led to despair. We cannot seize power from the one who has made us and has a will for our life. And in that sense, we cannot long for death to become a god in that sense, to be the master of our own destiny as the world likes to promise us. We have to be careful about the motives of longing for death. And early on, the church was very cautious, even in the catacombs, to put a stern warning against Christians seeking martyrdom because of the likelihood of it being a vain attempt and us falling and denying Christ under the temptations. If God allows that to happen, that's fine. We really should not be seeking out such a terrible, murderous experience for us lest we uh, have overestimated our ability to get through it. Let's be honest, not all of us are called to be Jesus Christ's, you know, SEAL Team 6. Four, is there anything missing? I think we covered uh, the issue of death and how it forces us to look at ourselves. And there's a, a great quote from Francis of Assisi's Canticle to the Creatures, every action of yours, every thought should be those of one who expects to die before the day is done. Death would have no great terror for you if you have a quiet conscience. Why not keep clear of sin instead of running away from death? If you're not fit to die today, it is unlikely you will be fit tomorrow. And he goes on to give this praise of God. And I think it's a great quote. And why should we put off till tomorrow what we can do today? What if that great day is today? Think about those people in the Twin Towers. Think about Mike. Think about yourself. Think about my son. How many people never knew the day they were going to be challenged or faced with that reality? If I can recognize that's a good possibility That I really have very little control over that. I should probably start preparing for it. Don't we all make fun of the people who sing a hurricane? Well, we know it'll be here in two weeks. Well, we know it'll be here in a week. We know it'll be here in two days. We know it'll be here tomorrow. Still haven't done any preparations for it. Or generally, people living in Florida. Hello. I mean... You're you're living basically on a great sandbar. So if we have the opportunity to prepare for ourselves for this, we should. Question five, is there any answering about the mystery of death that can satisfy us? I think we have gotten a little bit closer to answering that question. Ultimately, you, the listeners, are going to have to really get into this question for yourself. There are things here that are not really going to be able to be resolved because I just can't put it on the table for you, as I did in the last episode in the reference to the rabbi. The question is something you're really going to have to take in reflection, maybe even prayer, in your interaction with others. You are going to have to seek this answer out. What I have is a gift that I've received, and it's things that I've discovered. But it's not something I can just send you an email or a flash drive to you, and then you have it. This is a journey, and we each have to make this not only together, but we have to make this ourselves. It it is an intimately personal question and an intimately personal journey and no one else can make it for us 6 what um what about our focus in response to death i think we've i think we've talked about that and the real question is we we have to be willing to look at ourselves there are so many great challenges i think the great sadness is when we've lost that curiosity If you remember, I talked about earlier episode where there's no such thing or very rarely such a thing as monocausal thinking. And we should not be, in the negative sense, in the popular sense, dogmaticians, where we just take something and ram it home and we lose all perspective of that. Even our Lord in revealing himself to us didn't do it on his own terms absolutely he explained it to it in our words at least as far as that would get us to making that that great leap of faith there are so many amazingly intense challenges to this great question of what is death and i hope i've introduced you to a few of them i didn't want to be overly academic We can get into the great questions of what does the Christian believer supposed to hold about death, what happens, judgment, heaven and hell. There's great treaties on that. But I want to start with that that first question of where do we see ourselves going? What is our one, three, five, ten-year plan? to use business language or personal development language. Where are we going? We're at a station. There is a whole bunch of trains lined up in front of us. Are we looking at where they're ending up before we hop on one? This is your host, Christopher. If you liked today's episode, give us a thumbs up and subscribe. Also click the bell for notifications on future content. If you haven't already check out our website, the ufcshow.com ways that you can support us and find us on other platforms. Until next time.